Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. For, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, I pray that as I preach tonight that you would anoint my lips, that you would bless all of our thoughts and meditations. Father, we ask that you would feed us on your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love this church. I love this church. It's so encouraging to me. I told myself I wasn't going to (laughs) cry. I'm fighting it. Hi, Curtis. But it's so encouraging for me to be here each time I come up and to be led in worship here by uh, the congregation singing with zeal and throwing your arms up in the air and bowing, bowing the knees of your heart before God. It, it's just such an encouragement to me. And, and um, it takes me back. It takes me back to my first, uh, first weeks in Bloomington. Um, just a few years after my conversion, I made my way to Bloomington. It was the summer of 1995, and whether it was because of my dark artistic sensibilities or, or maybe some discernment that the Lord gave to me, I was already lamenting the fact that the church seemed to be so light. The church was so superficial. And it, I wouldn't have known to say it this way then, but there was no fear of God. In the churches I attended, the church I thought bore little resemblance to the church I read about in the Scriptures. And the Puritans, somehow I had started reading that quickly after my conversion. I longed for something that wasn't light. I longed for something that wasn't frothy. I needed something serious. I needed something serious. I had a lot of growing to do, and I needed something that would take me down and build me up. And I needed some experience in the church that corresponded to the weight of God's Word. That's what I desired. I, and I needed that because I had a long way to go, and I still do have a long way to go. So I came to Bloomington with that longing in my heart, and those who had come before me said that I needed to go to a church where Tim Bailey preached, and the preaching was certainly what I had hoped for. But then the church exploded, and I was fearful. I was fearful. I was fearful that 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 was, that was it. And I would have to go back to... Uh, a church that was light and devoid of a fear of God and frothy. 
And wonderfully, a number of those who were ejected when that church exploded started this church. And I could go on and on and on, right, about how this person and that person has had a lasting influence on me. Talk about after, after being diagnosed with disease, how I was anointed with oil and, and confessed my sins of cynicism and, and unkindness. I could talk about how, um, about the friendships that I have that last to this day. I could talk about meeting my wife, the most glorious gift that the Lord has given to me. I could talk about my first sermon and Phil Henry's unkindness after it. I could talk about learning from the faithfulness of Rita Coffey and Bob Kaplowitz. And on and on and on I could go. And I could say the same thing about the church I served with in Toledo, Ohio. Just precious souls that I miss. And the church I currently serve at in Spartanburg, South Carolina. There have been so many faithful brothers and sisters that have shown me what it means to follow Jesus Christ and what it means to be serious about following Jesus Christ. So I love this church because she taught me to love the church. I think of this church every time I sing, I love thy kingdom, Lord. I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode, the church our blessed Redeemer saved with his own precious blood. I love thy church, O God, her walls before thee stand, dear as the apple of thine eye engraven on thy hand. For her my tears shall fall, for her my prayers ascend, to her my cares and toils be given till toils and cares shall end. Beyond my highest joy, I prize her heavenly ways, her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns of love and praise. Sure as thy truth shall last, to Zion shall be given the brightest glories earth can yield and brighter bliss of heaven. And so now you, Jody, a son of this church, this church that has so many sons and daughters, so much fruit. You're taking over the reins. And I went back and forth about what I should preach. Should I mainly address Jody and try to build him up in the faith? Because he needs to be built up in the faith right now. I thought of Moses and Joshua. God says to Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Joshua was probably overwhelmed with the task he had, taking millions of people into the promised land, but he had been there with Moses for years and had learned from him. He was a, as ready as a man can be, and yet he needed to hear that promise of God, and you've been trained and now you're ready, and you've served here, and you've suffered in the ministry, and you're ready, but you still need to hear God's promise, I will be with you. God will be with you. But then my thoughts turn to the congregation. Do I focus on the congregation? This transition is your doing. 
Right? You chose the previous man. You accepted his resignation. And you chose the current man. And the presbytery is about to seal that selection with this installation. I thought about the incredible change that comes when you put yourself under a different shepherd. There's no more profound change, right, that a, that a church can make than the one we are making official tonight. Imagine sitting under the ministry of the Apostle Paul for a number of years, and then he takes off to plan another church, and Timothy is left to set up an elders board and to take up the mantle for a time. The church in Corinth shows us what can happen during those transitions, right? Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I've been informed concerning you, my brothers, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Some of you will be tempted to throw off your new shepherd, and say, I'm of Tim. Others will be relieved that Tim is on the other side of the planet and will want to boast, I'm of Jody. And perhaps others of you will, will claim one of the other wonderful shepherds that you have here as your man. I'm of Max. I'm of Stephen, I'm of Phil, I'm of Lucas. A lot of good men to pick from, to divide over. Then I began to think about the difference between Tim and Jody. Are there differences? (laughs) Jody has no connections to Wheaton and evangelical royalty. He's a dude from flyover country. But he's not just the dude from flyover country. He's a classically trained musician from flyover country, which puts him in a weird category. (laughs) You've made a musician. You've made a Levite. Your pastor. I thought about preaching on King David and how God can make one man both a musician and a shepherd. Honestly, I think uh, those who have studied music, certainly at the level that Jody did, Learn to take beatings and repent. That's the study of music. That's the process of the weekly lesson. You're told what you're doing wrong, expected to change it, and come back with those things seamlessly incorporated into your playing. It's, it's constant discipline and submission. And so knowing that, knowing that, musicians should be able to exercise authority and correction well because they've lived in it. And they've seen the fruits of submission. They've seen the fruit of that discipline. 
Then I began to think about how I could encourage both Jody and you, the members of this church, to anticipate the differences between Tim and Jody and give thanks to God for them. But as I thought about the ways Jody will change things or have different approaches to this or that, they were all very superficial. You as a congregation should be willing to accept those things because they're cosmetic, they're skin deep, they're easy. The way that Jody greets you, right? The way he progresses through conversations, the work he delegates, the programs he initiates or kills in the church, right? His moods, his sense of humor, the stories he tells, the stories he doesn't tell, the length and breadth of his sermons. In a sense, those are all superficial, but many sheep are fixated on superficial things. And a man's style means everything to some sheep. His style. That ought not to be. The Apostle Paul was to be respected just as much as Apollos. Wonderfully, I don't need to address any of those things because the Holy Spirit spoke through through Robert Woodyard a few weeks ago on many of those things. I'm thankful for the way that the Holy Spirit used him here. And so I came to the passages I'm about to read, and what is important today and what God has put on my heart to preach this evening amounts to this. Though you have navigated this transition and made a profound change in leadership at Trinity Reformed, and you will feel it deeply. Though you are a different man than Tim, Jody, you must be sure that you and this church remain committed to the same few things to which Trinity Reformed has always been committed. If you do not do this, your leadership will fail. And the sheep will be neglected and left to be devoured by wolves. If you do not practice what I'm saying tonight, Jody, the church ought to get rid of you if the presbytery would allow it. And brothers and sisters, if you do not receive from Jody what I'm about to speak of, the doors should be closed, the building sold, and the land given a Sabbath rest. And so what can't change? The name can't change. (laughs) Not again. It's getting confusing. No. No. What can't change, what absolutely mustn't change, is Trinity Reform's continuing commitment to three very old, simple things. Boringly old and reformed. The pure preaching of the Word of God, the right administration of the sacraments, and that was whispered way too soft, like you're afraid. The faithful exercise of church discipline. It's very simple to understand. It is your responsibility to ensure the the continuation of those three things. It's not complicated. It's not a thousand things you are responsible for. It's those three things that you're responsible for. 
There may be a thousand decisions that you are responsible for, but they should all be tied to those three main things, right? Now, here's the good thing, Jody. You've been brought up in this church. You were trained for ministry here. You've been under elders and pastors who understand and love those marks of the church. They love them. And that's uncommon. They don't just love them, they practice them. And this church expects that her leaders will uphold those marks. And she's now in a presbytery that insists on it, insists that you hold to those marks. In due time, you'll find out, Jody, which members and even elders truly love those marks when you are, act- when you are faithfully upholding them. Some may be in love with style and reject your style. And what a pity that would be. But others will be committed to the marks and will back you up as you aim for them. They will have, you will have men around you pushing you in the right direction. Jody, you've been shown this ministry. You've been doing this ministry. Continue on. Just continue on. Now, what is often said about these three marks of the church is that church officers must faithfully dispense these things. Um, That's undoubtedly true. No church without these three things being present. Um, Church officers do have a responsibility from God that they purely preach, rightly administer, and faithfully practice church discipline. What is often left unsaid is that there are obligations for church members in regard to those three marks. Ordained officers must faithfully dispense them, and church members must faithfully receive them. Calvin, speaking of the first mark, said, wherever we see the Word of God purely preached and heard, purely preached and heard, There it is not to be doubted a church of God exists. So you, the members of Trinity Reformed, are to faithfully faithfully receive, or better yet, submit yourselves to the word preached, the sacraments administered, and the discipline practiced. It's your work to uphold the marks of the church by faithfully receiving them as the pastors do their work. When they are unfaithful, win them over by your chaste and reverent behavior. Give me the word. Give me discipline. When the sheep are unfaithful, lead them back to the word. So let's take each of these up. The pure preaching of the word of God. To Jody, this text. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now remember that God, and this is, this is the fearful thing about preaching and unexplainable, God will work in your words and use your words for his purpose. Protect your conscience, dear brother, protect your conscience, so that when you enter the pulpit, you have confidence that God will work through you. Saturate everything you do and every decision you make in prayer. 
Then do not leave off saying hard things from the pulpit. The sheep are stupid. I love you. I'm stupid. We are stupid. We need help. But do not leave off saying hard things. And do not be proud and leave off saying gentle things from the pulpit. The sheep are fearful. Do this when it is easy. Do this when it is hard. Be very patient all throughout your teaching. And you can't be a safe man when you preach. You have to have faith when you stand before the sheep. There will, there will need to be times, Jody, when you shout. There will, when you plead, when you make an ass of yourself, there will be times, and there, there have to be those times, and because you cannot allow people who are sleepy about their souls to continue to sleep. You have to be zealous for them. You must be a fool for Christ and fulfill your ministry for as long as God has you here, okay? Think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. God will provide you with this kind of zeal and faith, Jody, if you ask him for it. Listen to the Apostle. Again, I say to you, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. What am I saying? I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting, since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself. And then, what does he say? Anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that you have been weak by comparison. And you could go on and read in, in that section of, of 2 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul is just going after the sheep, having to explain himself parenthetically all throughout that he's not losing his mind, but he has a purpose. These sheep around you want to know you love them and that you will not withhold the Word of God from them when they need it. They do not need psychologizing. They do not need academic ponderings. They do not need flattery. They do not need cute and memorable sayings. In fact, I, I don't think these sheep will accept those things. There are a hundred other pulpits in this city under which they could sit that would give them such soul-destroying junk. They need you to preach the Word of God in the pulpit and out of the pulpit. They need you to preach the Word of God in season and out of season, in the sanctuary and at the kitchen table. You have to preach the Word. To the sheep of Trinity Reformed, this text. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. 
A few weeks ago at Tim's resignation celebration, a quote from Calvin on preaching was shared. The quote goes on from what was read, and, and so I want to pick up there. Listen to this. From the lips of men, as from the sanctuary, God gives his answers to men. From the lips of men, God gives his answers to men. Again, this is the best and most useful exercise in humility when God accustoms us to obey his word, even though it be preached through men like us, and sometimes even by those of lower worth than we. If he spoke from heaven, it would not be surprising if he had sacred oracles, if, if his sacred oracles were to be reverently received without delay by the ears and minds of all, for who would not dread the presence of his power, who would not be stricken down at the sight of such great majesty, who would not be confounded at such boundless splendor, but when a puny man risen from the dust speaks in God's name. At this point, we best evidence our piety and obedience toward God if we show ourselves teachable toward his minister, although he excels us in nothing. In his commentary on Luke 10, he says something similar. He says, a large part of the world perversely assess, assesses the gospel according to human worth and therefore disparages it when it is carried by a humble and mean sort of man. But God is determined to rule his church by the ministry of men and indeed chooses the ministers of his word from the low off-scourings of the people. <laughs> you are the low off-scourings of this people. It is therefore notable commendation of the outward ministry when Christ declares that any honor and reverence paid to the preaching of men, granted it is faithful, God acknowledges as paid to himself. And so as you have received the word from a puny man risen from the dust, so you must continue to receive the word of God from a puny man risen from the dust. A man from the low offscourings of the people. And this is God's mercy to you. Do you realize this? This is God's mercy to you. A mark of this church's faithfulness will be the pure preaching of the word and the pure receiving of the word from a puny man. Will you have faith to believe that God will speak to you through Jody? Will you have the faith to believe that your pastor is an ambassador of God whose preaching of the Word is the Word of God, as it's put in the Second Helvetic Confession? Will you have faith to believe that though the feed is changing, you're going to be nourished? 1 Peter 2.1, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. The pure milk of the word, coming from a puny man risen from the dust. Enough on that. Second mark of the church, the right administration of the sacraments. To Jody, this text. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Fence the table. Fence the table, Jody. It's one of your main tasks. This is the Lord's table. And you must be courageous when you fence the table. It is your duty to make it clear that the approach to the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is not to be casual. There would be no kindness and love in making this meal trivial and light. Joyful, yes, but don't make it casual. Joyful because of its intensity. And do not allow parents, Jody, to pressure you into serving this meal to those who cannot examine themselves. And do not allow the unrepentant to pressure you into serving this meal to those who won't examine themselves. No matter how much money they give to the church, welcome sinners who are sorry for their sins to this meal and keep all others away until they too are sorry for their sins and cling to Jesus Christ for salvation. Calvin said, it is very true that he to whom its distribution has been committed, if he knowingly and willingly admits an unworthy person whom he could rightfully turn away, is as guilty of sacrilege as if he had cast the Lord's body to dogs. On this account, Chrysostom gravely inveighs against priests who, fearing the power of great men, dare to exclude no one. Blood, Chrysostom says, will be required at your hands. If you fear a man, he will laugh at you. But if you fear God, you will be revered also among men. Let us not dread the sword, the purple, the crown. Here we have a greater power. I truly, truly would rather give my body to death and let my blood be poured out than participate in that pollution, says Chrysostom. So it's serious, dear brother. Do not treat the holy things of the Lord lightly. One other thing, be sure you can superintend at this table with a clear conscience, that you can preach the word with a clear conscience, that you can superintend at this table with a clear conscience. And so I urge you, get together with your fellow pastors and confess your sins, doctrinal and ethical. The week before you come to this table, to the sheep of Trinity reform this text, but a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Receive the Lord's table, this visible word, properly. Do the work of examining yourselves. Actually talk with your brothers and sisters you have sinned against. Get awkward about it, okay? And when a brother or sister comes to you, and confesses their sin to you, do not, do not ever despise them. It'll be your temptation to despise them for their sins. But do not despise your brother or sister that comes to you. Do not be proud and then use that confession of sin as some sort of weapon against them. Don't do that. Forgive that brother or sister. 
right? The same could be said for spouses, for children and mothers, children and fathers and friends. The other thing I would say to you about the peer receiving of this mark of the church, do not lie when you come to this table, brothers and sisters. Don't lie. How do you lie when you come to this table? Well, you lie when you leave your sins unconfessed while making sure your friends and family and pastors see you coming to the Lord's table. Growth in the Christian life does not come by keeping the outside of the cup clean. Growth in the Christian life comes by the humiliation of repentance and the pursuit of a clean conscience. Love God, hate your sin, and let this table and, and the warning you receive here really sink into you. Contemplate these things. Let them be a constant reminder to cling to what is good and abhor what is evil. And then the third mark, the faithful exercise of church discipline. To Jody, this text, admonish the unruly, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everybody. To the sheep of Trinity Reformed Church, this text, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, and because it is, sin and its defilement should be rooted out. Right? And, and who of us does not sin? Who of us does not sin? Who of us does not contribute to the potential leavening of the whole lump? All of us potentially contribute that leaven that would leaven everything. And so, pastors and elders, you must... Fill your minds with the glory of Jesus Christ so that you are scandalized by your own sins and also zealous for the purity of the bride of Jesus Christ. We're all under church discipline because we are all sinners. We need the weekly, honestly more often, we need the weekly preaching of the word to work in us to root out sin and unbelief and we need the constant exhortation of the word to work into us love for and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're all under discipline, but there are times when our sin metastasizes, right? And we come quite close to making shipwreck of our souls, and so the medicine to root out that disease has to be stronger. And that's when formal process comes in, suspension, from the sacraments, excommunication. And if you, brothers, don't have in mind first the glory of God, you will shy away from the stronger medicine because your ministry will just become a circus of trying to maintain relationships at all costs between yourself and others and between members of the church. You'll just be, try, you'll be like a, a, a relationship negotiator. If you don't have the purity of the bride of Christ in mind. If you don't have in mind the purity of the bride that Christ deserves and demands, you'll begin to call your inaction love. Leaving sheep alone will be love. 
And if you don't have in mind the kindness of God that comes to us through repentance, you'll become like those that the Apostle Paul was correcting in the book of Romans. They thought that they could continue in sin so that grace may abound. And what does he say? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? We think we are the first generation in Christ's church that doesn't need discipline. That doesn't need shepherds. That doesn't need fathers. That doesn't need authority. We, we really do think too highly of ourselves, don't we? And yet we, we also think too lowly of the glory of Jesus Christ, a glory that demands a lifelong pursuit of holiness, showing that we who have died are free from the reigning power of sin. Free from it. Are you a part of the bride of Christ? Are you a part of the bride of Christ? Are you making yourself ready to be presented to the Son of God? If so, you welcome discipline just like a bride welcomes her bridesmaids to help her put on that beautiful white dress on her wedding day. You welcome that discipline. Again, Calvin, who always wakes us up from our slumber, he says that corrections and excommunication exist so that they who lead a filthy and infamous life may not be called Christians. to the dishonor of God, as if his holy church were a conspiracy of wicked and abandoned men. For since the church itself is the body of Christ, it cannot be corrupted by such foul and decaying members without some disgrace falling upon its head. Therefore, that there may be no such thing in the church to brand its most sacred name with disgrace, they from whose wickedness infamy resounds to the Christian name must be banished from its family. Because Christ is glorious and holy. Do you understand this? Do you understand that your love for Christ's own glory and the purity of his bride must be deep and intense and it must be first? It has to be first so that you can then properly love the, the erring sheep, even to the point of putting them out of the family, if that will lead them back to Christ. And dear brothers and sisters, you will be tempted to think the zeal of your pastors have for the glory of Jesus Christ is a personal vendetta against you. You will even be tempted to think that the zeal your pastors have for your own good is a personal vendetta against you. Some of you, some of you children here will reject church, church discipline. And you will publish to the world how this church hated you and had the audacity to call you to put away your idols. And by God's grace, through your pastor's work, your leaven will not be allowed to leaven the whole lump. Others of you will be teachable and will receive church discipline because you have learned by the Spirit's work in you to oppose yourself. 
That's what you do every day, just constantly opposing yourself. To oppose your own sin, to buffet your body, to make it your slave. You have the same goal in mind as your pastors, the glory of Jesus Christ and the purity of his bride. Right? And so when they, when they leave those meetings with you, let them allow to leave rejoicing. Rejoicing that you allowed them to do their work with joy, but honestly more so because even your willingness to consider their words, let alone the actual work of repentance, gives glory to God. And it continues and contributes to the purity of Christ's bride, the church. And so, Jody, this work must be done, and you will have, you only have the fortitude for it if you are always increasing in your love for Christ and your love for the purity of his bride. And brothers and sisters, you must receive discipline from Jody and his preaching, his administration of the sacraments, his discipline, and you will only have the fortitude for it if you are always personally increasing in your love for Christ and the purity of his bride. So, friends, the work of God continues here, just as it has been. The work of God continues here. Nothing new. Nothing new. We don't want new things. We don't want shiny new things. And so as you steer the ship, your task is clear, Jody. In fact, the three marks of the church I've mentioned are actually only one. You realize that. The key mark of the church, the soul of the church, is the Word of God. You preach the Word, you administrate the visible Word, in the sacraments, and you apply the word in discipline. So it's one thing, the word of God, one thing. You're a minister of God's word. God will supply you with every bit of wisdom you need to fulfill your calling if you ask him, and he'll do so generously without finding fault. So ask him to supply the wisdom and faith you need. Give these dear souls the word of God. Give them the word of God. Okay, with all seriousness, with all tenderness. And brothers and sisters, Jody is your man. And the presbytery is putting him in this place. He's taught you to worship God. He has taught you over years to worship God. And so your affection and your trust for Jody runs so deep already. Now receive the word of God from him. Receive it. Sit under it. Take it from him. Christ rules this church by his word. May his word continue to do its work here for many, many generations to come. Amen? Amen. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the Spirit who gives us understanding of your Word. We thank you for the Spirit that works in your preached Word to illumine minds. 
We thank you for the ways that each one of us have been disciplined by your word. We can all think of verses that just struck us down, that just annihilated us. And Father, we're so thankful for that discipline because we know that every good father disciplines his sons. And so thank you for this. Lord, may the word of Christ richly dwell here in every heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm supposed to say something about the significance and importance of the installation of a pastor, and I feel like I just did that. (laughs) This is significant and important. It really is. It really is significant also that this is, how, how glorious that this is a work of a presbytery, right? That the presbytery is installing this man who's not even a member of this church. He's a member of presbytery. So if he goes off the rails, guess who? We're going to come at him, right? And we're going to encourage him to love you and serve you, and we're going to serve you along with him. And so we install him today, and, and that's a glorious treasure and for your church. Amen. David. Now we come to the point in our service where Jody's going to be, I'm going to ask Jody a few questions as he takes on the work of uh, being the senior pastor of this, of this congregation. Jody, answer these questions. <clears throat> Are you now willing to take charge of this congregation as their pastor, agreeably to your declaration and accepting its call? I am. And do you conscientiously believe and declare, as far as you know your own heart, that in taking upon you this charge, you are influenced by a sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good of the church. I am. And do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of a pastor to this congregation and will be careful to maintain a deportment in all respects becoming a minister of the gospel of Christ agreeable to your ordination engagements? I do. Brothers and sisters, would you please stand? It's now my privilege to ask you some questions, and it's your job to say we do. Do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Jody Killingsworth, whom you have called to be your pastor? Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth, with meekness and love, and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? Do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor that competent worldly maintenance, which you have promised, you're going to pay him, and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you. 
You may be seated. And now we're going to pray for Jody and for all of you. So, Jody, come over this way. All right, let's pray. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, you who spoke this universe into being by your powerful word, you who have given us a message of life for this broken world, a world that has turned its back on you and has turned against you, you who have given us the message of life and hope and salvation and forgiveness. We come this evening to set apart Jody for the spread and the proclamation of this good news, this gospel. As we set him apart, we pray that you would set apart every component of his being. Set apart his eyes. Equip them to see Christ in all of Scripture, to see the richness, the glorious beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Set apart his lips to speak the truth with boldness and clarity, to proclaim the truth with wisdom and gentleness, to display to all who hear both their need of the Savior and the beauty of the Savior, both the seriousness of sin and the wonder of salvation. Grant him the fluency of speech, the richness of vocabulary, the speed of thought and the clarity of expression, everything that is required to convey the sweet beauty of the gospel, the awful ugliness of sin and the eternal realities of heaven and hell. Grant him the lips and tongue that he needs. Set apart his ears to hear what you have to say to him by your spirit, to hear the needs of the congregation, to hear the hidden sorrows of their hearts, to hear the burdens of the community around him, to hear your guiding ways in his shepherding, along with the elders of this congregation. Set apart his heart so that it beats with warmth and love, love for the lost, warmth for the precious blood-bought people of Christ whom you have entrusted to him. May he go out to seek and to find the lost, and may he shepherd well the people that lie so richly and preciously on his Savior's heart. Grant him something of the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ as it beats even now in heaven. Set apart his backbone to stand strong and firm for the truth, a firmness of resolve as your word comes under attack from so many different directions. Grant him the tenderness of heart to hold out the truth winsomely and the strength of steel to stand firm in the face of the onslaught. Set apart his knees. May he often be on his knees, seeking the help of your spirit to empower your word as it is proclaimed. May he be on his knees on a Saturday evening and on a Sabbath when he comes home from the service. May he be on his knees when he comes before your word for the congregation. Set him apart to be on his knees. Set apart his feet that they might be ready to go out amongst this congregation, to visit them, to lead them, to go and find them when they are wandering, to go and seek them out when they are hurting. Give him feet like those of a shepherd. Shod those feet with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace to go out not only to his flock, but to the surrounding areas to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Set apart everything you have gifted to this man, heart and mind, body and soul, and fill it with all that he needs to fulfill this glorious task. 
O Lord, may all that he does be used by you to refresh, to melt, to convict, and to comfort. O Lord, before us stands a man of dust. He is not able. Around him stand men of dust, and we are not able. And so, O Lord, we come to the one who is able. And we pray that as we set this man apart, that you, by your spirit, would make him able for all that you have in store for him, and that he would look to you and that this congregation would look to you for this enabling. And Father, we also lift up this congregation to you, praying that they would love Jody and be an encouragement to him, that they would possess humble hearts to receive his ministry of the word with joy and thanksgiving, that they would pray for him that God would assist him and bless his labors and that they would support him under all his trials and afflictions and stand by him in those trials, afflictions, and sufferings. That they would be a help to him as he leads his own home, loving his wife as Christ loves the church and raising his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That they would obey him in the exercise of every part of his official authority according to the word. That they would treat him with respect and esteem that they would contribute generously toward his upkeep, that he may fully apply himself to the extensive duties of his office, that their relationship would be characterized by mutual love and honor, and that together they would be a people marked by daily repentance, confessing their sins and turning afresh to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask these things as we set this man apart in Jesus' name and for his sake and for his glory. Amen. I now pronounce and declare that Jody Killingsworth has been regularly elected and installed senior pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the Word of God and according to the Constitution of Evangel Presbytery, and that as such she is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 I'd invite elders and pastors to come give them some love. Praise God. Amen. 
Well, if I could just go off script for just a second, which I have a feeling you all are used to. <laughs> I want to say that I hope we realize how absolutely special today is and how unique it is. This almost never happens in church life. It almost never happens that your senior pastor preaches his last sermon and on Sunday night your new senior pastor is installed. That almost never happens. And I impress it upon you because I couldn't stop thinking about it as I was sitting in the chair to be very thankful for the gift of God's grace of what is taking place today and to not squander it. Do not squander it. It is a unique gift. Now, I'm actually here to charge Jody, though. <laughs> My dear brother and friend, you know I hold you in my heart all the time, pray for you, think about you and your work, the work that's ahead of you. I hold many of you in your church in my heart all the time too, Jody knows that. <laughs> You've heard very good words from Pastor Andrew. And as I thought and thought and thought about what I would say and how I would charge you, this is the scripture that kept coming to my mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes, inspired of the Holy Spirit, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The Apostle Paul, small and insignificant in appearance, his ministry followed Jesus The criticisms leveled at him because of his appearance. Nothing special about him, nothing of distinction, nothing of great repute. And you need none of those things. Trust me, I come from a whole bunch of men who were distinguished in their appearance, tall, good-looking, <laughs> distinguished in their appearance, and in many ways they were more like Saul. You need none of that, absolutely none of it. The Apostle Paul here in this passage is perplexed and suffering, his body is beaten, he's given over to death in many ways for life in the sheep, and he had nothing of show.
They had treasure in jars of clay. They had the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their heart, in your, in their brain and in their body, just as you have in your personality and in your body, in your brain, just as God has made exactly you for the task at hand. Treasure given in the heart of weak humanity, sin-cursed men, sin-cursed bodies scarred by the suffering of the ministry. Why? Why? Why would God not choose something more spectacular to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us and not to you and not to anyone else. And you must have faith that God's end game is to display his power and his glory in the life of this church through a jar of clay. And you must have faith that he is jealous to actually do that. He will do that. You must have faith that he is glorified so that when everyone looks at you and does a double take, or when the world or those in the church hold you in contempt, you, the, they are left to conclude only, and by God's design, this way, only the power of God can explain this. Calvin wrote of this text, it's usual for great treasures to be laid up in earthen pots. It's ordered by the special providence of God that there should be in ministers no appearance of excellence, lest anything of distinction should throw the power of God into the shade. Was therefore the abasement of ministers and the outward contempt of their persons give occasion for glory accruing to God? Dear brother, the triune God has put together today. Today, in his providence, we are here, and he has done what he has done. The Holy Spirit has persuaded the whole of this congregation that it is good for you to be their senior pastor. As for me, I have zero doubt. Today is evidence of the recognition of the congregation, the presbytery, that you are God's man for this job. And in some ways, not in spite of your particular inadequacies, but precisely because you have the inadequacies that you have. Why? 
because the fruit in the future of this church under your ministry is to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to you and not to anyone else. I have found myself on a bit of a tirade as of late as a pastor in our church trying to get us to believe that the average reality is that failure is everywhere. (laughs) And your failures as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ will put the number of stars to shame. Trust me. And yet the God of heaven has been pleased for those who are qualified also for it to be just like that. So that no man may boast, that no congregation may boast, and the salvation of the world would glorify his power. That this is his doing. And his power is not lacking. He does not need the perfections or skills of musical performance. Spot on there. And for crying out loud, you're a man who's awake 14 to 16 hours per day and must sleep for eight just to survive. Whatever skills you have, the day and night cycle will remind you that you have this treasure in an earthen vessel, a jar of clay, and fruit will be brought forward from the life of your ministry to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So take heart, our dear brother. Be strong, courageous. Carry on in the work that is established and build on what God has wired you precisely to build here according to the grace that he gives you and the power that he will work. Jesus didn't stop building his church today. Jesus didn't stop building his church today. He's building his church just as he promised today, Lord willing, tomorrow, and for how many years we have here. He is building his church, and you are his man for this flock. There is no other man and there is no other calling. It is yours and it is from him and he has given it to you so that when you read the beginning of the letters, when the Apostle Paul is referencing his authority, remember today. Remember your ordination and your calling and carry on the work with in this jar of clay that you are. Trust God, Jody. Trust God for greater fruitfulness in the days ahead through you. Because God would precisely want to do that to show the surpassing power belongs to him and not to you. Love you.
And now I have a charge for you, the people of this congregation. And you've already heard the verse that I want to read to you undoubtedly many times before, certainly also tonight, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. It's easy to lose the practicality of this command. It's easy to forget how it applies. But remember, you will be profited. You will benefit if you submit such that your leaders are joyful in keeping watch. What do you think would make Jody and the other pastors and elders joyful? That's not that hard to answer. You're just a family. What would make a father's work of leading his family a joy? Well, if you listen to him. If you listen to him. That'll make any father happy, won't it? So listen. But listen always remembering, like the Bereans, that you're listening for God's words. And so just as the Bereans checked the scriptures to make sure the things that they were hearing were true, you also must remember that these men can fall into error in a desire to please you. I've been preaching through kings, and Solomon was such a wise, wise man, and yet how far he fell. And then you get to the prophet of God who lies to another prophet of God. I just preached on that this morning. And so, yeah, you have to listen. You have to submit, but you're, you're submitting to men who are sinners. And so you have to be listening and testing to see that what they're saying is true. Yes, they are sinners, and that means also that you can bring them joy by forgiving them. You can bring them joy by forgiving them. 
Doesn't every father want their children to grow and eventually forgive them? Let them do their work of leading you with joy by always forgiving them. But just like in a family, the simplest, most straightforward and obvious and easy way to give your mother and your father joy, if you love one another, if you love each other and you're not bickering and fighting and whining and complaining and tattling, oh, the the joy that will bring. The joy that will bring. Love one another. But most of all, love God. You can only love one another because God has first loved you. Love him. These are three, four, I can't count, four things that are very easy to remember, even if you can't count. Listen, forgive, and love each other and God. That's my charge to you. Amen. Let us pray. God, our Father Almighty, today we have tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. And we are not surprised because you are a God who is good and who does good. And your goodness has overflowed and we have seen it in the life of this church. What a marvelous grace, Father, that on Pastor Tim's last Sunday preaching, we are also installing a man who has been his son in the faith and who is well prepared for this ministry that you have given him. We give thanks to you for the abundance of your goodness today. We praise you and all the glory is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.